It's Emily here, and I'm excited to introduce you to Raise Them Well. It's a company that Wiggy and I formed together to bring the best products for you and your children. Today, I want to tell you about our children's immunity chewables that include vitamin C, vitamin D3, vitamin K2, and zinc, all in one chewable. It's not a gummy. It includes no fillers, no artificial sweeteners, and no sugar, and is everything your kids need to stay well this winter in one chewable. Hey everybody, it's Emily here with Healthy Discourse, and I'm excited today to talk to Wiggy and kind of have a conversation slash interview about a different approach to a public health crisis like we've been dealing with for the past year plus at this point. And just to really discuss some different, maybe contrasting views on how we can handle things and uh, maybe just allow ourselves to ask questions, which we should always be allowed to do on any topic, and what some of the different answers might be versus the narrative that we've been hearing that we have to abide by and so forth for the last year or so. So let's dig right in. And and we might, we might allow Wiggy to put on his Dr. Fauci hat today and pretend that he's in that position and, and maybe what, what, what could have been done or said differently, not necessarily that Dr. Fauci is wrong about everything and he's terrible, not necessarily that, but what are some different ways that we could approach this to better equip the public, both mentally and physically, to be prepared and to tackle? Well, I think that the biggest difference that I've seen through this, through the handling of this of this crisis is really highlights the difference between uh, traditional medicine and integrative medicine. We see there's a there's kind of a different way of approaching things because this was a very uh, this was handled again through a very traditional uh, method, saying this is what's going on, this is the disease, and this is this is the way that you can you can protect yourself from the disease. And it really was more of a avoidance uh, avoidance mindset to say we have to just we have to hide ourselves uh, from this and uh, sooner or later we'll develop a vaccine and that's that's kind of the that's the the nuts and bolts of it which i think is is unfortunately i think is it missed a lot of opportunity to help a lot of people Mm -hmm. because i think that there are lots of things that can that could have been done that still can be done uh, from a prevention standpoint i also think that there are a lot of things that can be done as far as early treatment goes Mm -hmm. and i think that that's just going to, that is more of an integrative approach is that we look at things as far as what can we do to be proactive versus reactive? What can we do to prevent things versus waiting for the disease to develop? And then uh, what are some things that are outside of the box? And that's another thing that integrative medicine tends to focus on is things that, that are outside the box, not just the ones that are standardized. Mm-hmm. And so there are, there are plenty of options that I think uh, could have been used that I think unfortunately were missed. Right. Well, and I think we were discussing this a little bit ago, and one thing that I actually thought was positive that could have come out of the pandemic is that we knew very early on that there were medical conditions, specifically obesity and diabetes, that that made people a lot more likely to get a lot more sick and or death, right? And it's... I really thought that there would be 
a renewed focus on health, on people getting healthier and that that would come from the top down mm. and that it might actually get people to think and to, to start really making some changes. And then it might be like, oh, wow, so here's what we need to do to build our immune systems and here's what we can do to get our bodies in a healthier place overall. And that that did not happen. It still hasn't happened. Mm. Um, it's happening in the integrative communities and the nutrition communities and that kind of thing on some level. But those are mostly people that were already interested in that. We're not telling the person that is, you know, living an unhealthy lifestyle that has these diseases to like, hey, this is a great time to start really thinking about making some changes because you could be so much mm-hmm. better equipped to handle something like the coronavirus um, when if you if your body was healthier. And sure, there's things that are out of our control. That's not what I'm saying. But it's just, uh, I feel like we miss a great opportunity as a society. Mm-hmm. And I think it really also, again, shows what we want to do is sit around and wait for a solution that's a fast, easy solution that we can just, you know, check the box and it's over and gone and done. And we'd never, we didn't have, we didn't have any skin in the game. We didn't have to invest in ourselves or in our communities really all that much um, we, we were just, we needed to stay away from everybody until there was this solution. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, we've lost so much because it, that was according to the experts in charge, the only way. Right. Well, I think probably one of the biggest challenges, uh, from the health experts point of view is that it came so quickly uh-huh. and they probably also didn't have a really good understanding of how long this was going to last. Right. You know, I think if they if they thought this was going to be only a couple of weeks, then there's really not a lot of, you know, health optimization, lifestyle modification that you can do in that in that short period of time. But now that we are beyond a year mm-hmm. from when, you know, when this really came around, you can make a lot of difference within a year. You know, so I think that if uh if there was a as soon as it started to to become evident that this was going to be around for a while, mm-hmm. you know, that beyond the, you know, the two weeks and to flatten the curve type of mindset. Uh, when, as soon as we realized that that wasn't going to work and this is going to be around for a long time, then the emphasis should have been switched from pure avoidance just to, let's say, yeah, let's talk about things that we can do to get yourself healthy mm-hmm. and to start to deal with those risk factors that you mentioned because those risk factors are significant risk factors Mm -hmm. you know obesity and diabetes are by far the biggest risk risk factors for this well and age of course age is also Mm -hmm. a real big risk factor but even with age i'd say it's a less of an important risk factor versus the obesity and the and diabetes and so uh, as soon as again as soon as we realize that this was going to be around a while and we have some time where we can start making some changes because people can make some drastic changes within a year. Mm-hmm. And so if from the public health experts point of view, they said, okay, this is what we should start focusing on. These are the biggest risk factors. What are some policies and programs we can put in place that can help those that are most vulnerable? Mm-hmm. And if that was started to be to be emphasized and people could start working on their nutrition and start controlling those risk, fa- risk factors. Because I also believe that a lot of these risk factors are when they're uncontrolled. Mm-hmm. Weight that takes that takes time. You know that that is something that's challenging to to work on for each person. But blood sugar control, you can actually control that pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, blood pressure, you can control that pretty quick. Uh, so if you can start implementing some of those changes, and you can control those risk factors to go from uncontrolled diabetes to to under control, I think that I think that you really would mitigate that risk by quite a bit. Right. 
Well, and let's talk about, you know, this whole, we, I think the intention, of course, was we have to, you know, the, it, it was the two weeks to flatten the curve, shut everything down, everyone stay home, stay away from everybody. Um, and there was a lot of, shortly after that, conflicting information coming from all sides. And it really left people in a major state of confusion. And when we get really confused and overwhelmed and we're already isolated, we tend to exasperate all those things that we're feeling or that we're told to do just because we feel like we're out of control or we can't control it. Then we start to um, kind of step over the line even and feel like we have to overdo the things that we're told in order to be healthy. And I mean, and what it's resulted in is that we're here a year later and there are still people that have not seen a person in person nor stepped out of their home. And I think that it's not that hard to argue that that's not healthy. You know, we've sacrificed arguably um, mental health and spiritual health and emotional health in the name of physical health mm-hmm. and kind of discounted those to say like, well, that's not, that's not, we can't worry about that right now because this is so much more important. Yeah. And arguably, you know, tell that to the, to the parents whose kids have committed suicide. I mean, I, I don't mean to say that, please, I don't take that lightly, but sure. tell them that that's not as important. And yeah. like, you know, and, and so this kind of one size fits all everybody needs to do the same thing and this is what's best for everybody and you know if you don't do it then you want to kill grandmas and you know that kind of thing um it's such a single it's such a um what am i trying to say it's such a one size fits all approach and a one size and assumes that we know a lot more than we do even Mm -hmm. in order to kind of get everybody to calm down and arguably to comply yeah you had two points i think that we could talk on one of them was kind of this unilateral approach is that there's Mm -hmm. only one one right answer to this and Mm -hmm. we have to do this one right answer Mm because there's no other thing to even consider at the time but i think that's where actually we we did make we were we were short-sighted with that because with every action there are other reactions that that come from that Mm -hmm. just like you said so yes we may have had some improved physical health in certain circumstances but the mental health was crazy the amount of relationship stress and 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 uh substance abuse and all these other things that that happened as a result of decisions being made is that there are there it's a it's a scale you if you put weight on one side of the scale the other side of the scale is going to going to change and so it does again these things they tend to uh, affect each other, and so we cannot look at it from a single singularity perspective or a unilateral perspective. We have to look at it from both sides of the equation, and then try, and also try to figure out what is the best overall response. Mm-hmm. Because if, if we don't look at the other side, then yeah, then you assume that it's only one-sided, and we only focus on that. But then again, you you do miss the bigger picture. So that's that is I think an important point. And then you also brought up the idea of control. Mm-hmm. Is that this if we if we can't really do much about this, if there's only certain things we can do, such as avoidance and you know, not being around anybody, then that gives somebody an element of control that I think that they really hold on to. Mm. And so that's where they're like, well, if I, if I can't control the virus, I can at least control this. 
And so giving somebody an element of control, I think tends, they tend to really grab onto that. And I think it goes to our earlier point is that if we can give some, somebody something else to really grab onto that they can control, mm -hmm. then I think it also changes the focus. So instead of the focus being solely on avoid all people, mm -hmm. to say, hey, let's start working on nutrition. Right. So, you know, three months from now, you're in a better position to handle this if it comes around. Because if you give somebody something they can control like that and you have the motivation mm -hmm. behind it, mm -hmm. then I think we actually probably could have made a huge difference with uh, controlling blood sugar and and stabilizing weight, potentially losing some weight during that time frame, so that, that people would be better prepared uh, for that. So I think that control element is, is uh, I think, is a very powerful force. Right. And that's probably where the uh, there's so much emotion behind it too. Right. Is that this is the one thing I can control, I'm gonna hold on to it, and there I'm gonna a, do this. Yes. Uh, but that's what I'm saying, I think if we could have maybe redirected that control mm -hmm. into more, healthy changes in lifestyle and I would say nutrition supplementation and doing things that we know can help then also not only again makes them healthier but also still gives them that element of control mm -hmm. that they will still feel like they're not going to go crazy because they can't control anything. Right. Well, and I think that brings up another point which is supplementation and boosting the immune system. Um, you know, there's, there's research and, and so forth that says that medicine is 10 to 25 years behind science, right? And so in our lives, in our world, supplementation and boosting the immune system, mm -hmm. like that's just an everyday thing. But in traditional medicine, it doesn't work quite the same way. And I feel like early on, there was significant evidence to show that things like vitamin C, vitamin D3, mm -hmm. vitamin K, and zinc were really solid and helping to um, better outcomes and, and help people not get quite as sick. And people would start asking about it and it was kind of the the general public or, or the mainstream medicine media, whatever, mm -hmm. sort of suppressed that as like, that doesn't actually sure. really matter, right? Sure. This is, well, maybe, but we don't really know that. And so that's not worth your time. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot that we didn't know. And there's plenty we still don't know, mm -hmm. but when we, but I feel like there's, we know that those things are really great for boosting the immune system as a whole. Mm -hmm. So why would we, that's again, something that we can do to, it's not that hard to take our supplements every day. So that's something we can do that mm -hmm. is likely to help many people be better equipped to either have a, a not not get the virus or to have a more moderate, not, not get as sick. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that's another area that we've just completely missed an opportunity to teach For sure. people, hey, this is a great way you can take care of yourself every single winter because the flu is, all, mm -hmm. you know, there's always things, there's always viruses. And so this is a great thing to get used to doing. Yeah. Well, I think in kind of from a public health expert in, in their defense, they're only really doing what they know. Mm. And I think this is actually where things do need to change is that I think people that are going to be positioned to influence policy, they should be versed and they should understand natural medicine just as much as traditional mm -hmm. medicine too. Because yeah, I mean that, that's, there's the supplements like vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc, they help. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen this clinically in our practice. If patients are taking taking this, 
they have uh, milder cases mm -hmm. and they recover quicker. Right. That's that is we see that clearly, and and there's plenty of research to support that that helps. Right. But that's also a slightly different, again, perspective from traditional medicine to integrative medicine. Is that integrative medicine doesn't necessarily wait to say, oh, is there a randomized controlled trial mm. on vitamin D with coronavirus? Right. We, no, we, we don't necessarily wait for that. We say, well, how does vitamin D work in the body? Mm. Vitamin D, we know, enhances the immune system, enhances white blood cells. Right. We know that that works, especially when you have optimal levels. And so if we know that it helps boost the immune system, why would we not give it to everybody if we're dealing with a immune system problem mm -hmm. where people are getting really sick and the, the, the weaker their immune system, the harder they have a tough, or a tough time beating it. Right. And that's where I think it's, it's, it's a disservice to the, the public is that we are not, we're not thinking critically anymore. Mm -hmm. We are just saying, well, we gotta wait until there's a huge study that says that this is safe and effective we know it's we know it's safe, right? And we know it's effective for boosting the immune system. So it just you know rationally makes sense that we should get everyone on vitamin D. Mm -hmm. We should make sure the levels are optimal, not just you know sufficient, right? And if we did that, I really think that we would have had such a better outcome mm -hmm. if people were talking about it. And the and the other thing is that you know what's there to lose, right? You know, there's these are so safe. Vitamin yes. D, vitamin C, mm -hmm. zinc, they are mm -hmm. so safe. I mean. Uh, You'd have to really try to overdose on this if you if you right. if you wanted if you wanted to hurt yourself. Well, and even even some of the um, medications that early on were just brushed aside as unsafe and and um, you know um, what am I thinking of hydroxychloroquine yeah. and ivermectin and some of these that. Of course, that narrative has changed at this point. Well, um, so is the, so is the vitamins and supplements too. You right. Know, they, there are there is some emphasis on taking vitamin D. Mm -hmm. You know, there's they're saying, well, probably wouldn't hurt you. Go and go and take right, some. Right. But there's not a saying, well, this probably will help you. Mm -hmm. You know, you should be should be taking it. Right. And yeah, and that's also changed with the hydroxychloroquine. And I, you know, I, I have my own personal opinions for why that was why that was done. Mm -hmm. And I think that it was I think again it was another disservice uh, because we do know hydroxychloroquine is a very safe right. uh, medication, and we also have seen that there are studies behind behind it that say that it helps with coronavirus right not just that it helps with the immune system it helps with viruses it helps with coronavirus and so again why was it not being recommended and why aren't more doctors you know talking about it and and prescribing it and ivermectin kind of in that same category i think ivermectin is actually a better medication mm -hmm. than hydroxychloroquine and it and it should be used in early treatment i just don't see why we wouldn't do that and early treatment is emphasis there yeah, yeah. But it's just, but again, it shows you kind of the contrast or it highlights the contrast mm -hmm. is that we should be more proactive exactly. and using the things that make sense to use mm -hmm. that are safe, that probably will help. Mm -hmm. And then also not being so slow to react, to wait till mm -hmm. all these bad outcomes happen when we could be using things and learning things right. and saying this actually works. And that's what we see through the integrated communities that we're, we're a little more mobile. Mm -hmm. we're, we are able to, to adapt quicker and we're able to make changes quicker. And I think that that's what we, we need to be doing because we'll just like take the, the medica medication, for example. Hydroxychloroquine, again, very safe, effective. But we've, we came across some data that suggests that maybe ivermectin is a better first-line therapy. Mm -hmm. So that's what, we, that's what we use now is ivermectin. Mm -hmm. and that's, but we're able to, to, to change real quickly versus if you're working for a major medical center you kind of have to wait for the top down. Right. And I think that's also, that's too, that's too slow. 
especially when we're dealing with a public health crisis. You need to, you need to change on the fly, and as new information becomes available, you need to adapt to that. Right. Well, and so that it creates when we're talking about public health and then big hospital systems down to the individual provider, right? There's a lot of red tape yeah. in there. And, I mean, it's, there's no, there's, it's not possible for that to be as flexible in the type of environment that we work in now where it is big government, big business, yeah. big, big, big medicine is big business. And, and it's, every, like, let's be honest, everyone wants to know what's in it for them. Um, and, and with these particular therapies as well, there's not a whole lot. I mean, and again, we can talk for hours about why things happen the way they did, but yeah. it is quite fishy that these aren't big money makers. Mm. And very quickly, the narrative became, we've got to find it, we've got to create a vaccine, right? Yeah. And so anything that kind of was not in line with that seemed to be brushed aside or completely, or, or told, we were told it was harmful mm-hmm. until after we had the vaccine. And then, oh, well, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are probably fine, yeah. right? That, but we had to have things in this certain order of events, which is... You know, as a society, we we should be questioning these things yeah. and asking why. And 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 no, it's not a conspiracy. It just these are the facts. You know, this mm-hmm. is the timeline of what happened. Right. And there were people along the way that took a stand and stood up to this and said, "This is not right. This is real." Like, you know, I'm doing this with my patients, and I have had zero people in the hospital, yeah. and. Not only are they told they're crazy, they're fired and they're losing medical licenses and all these things are happening. And it's like, no, 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 we we should be asking questions when we stop asking questions of science, of medicine, of the government, of whatever institution. We're setting ourselves up for for disaster as a as a culture. Oh, for sure. I think this also in the one of the biggest problems that we see is when when there are, there's not enough critical thinking and there's only like, again, it's kind of a uh, hierarchical approach to this mm-hmm. is that only from the top, they make the decision and then everyone else just has to fall in line. Right. You know, and I think that that's, again, one opinion or again, or, or handful of opinions is not going to necessarily always give you to the right answer. Right. You know, there should be lots of people thinking, well, what else can we try and figuring out what actually works best? Right. And well, I remember in the height of all of this, you and I talking about how cool would it be and how, how much would it better serve if they created a larger task force of mm. a couple hundred doctors probably with different expertise that were on the front lines and to bring all this together and to sort it out and to talk it through, you know, I mean, we do that with other things that are not as important as this, you know, we, we come together and why was that not more of a a thing? Like, wouldn't that be effective to be like, okay, well, and from different areas of the country Mm -hmm. and, and from that are, I mean, and to be, um, create a team really to work together to figure out um, what is and isn't working. But I think it goes back to what we talked about a minute ago is there's so much red tape in all this and who's going to approve what and and that kind of thing versus, you know, asking the question, well, what's actually best for the common good? Mm -hmm. And can we just like let all this go for a little bit so we can come together and and work through some of these things? Well, I think that, 
you know, just think about that from a from a logical standpoint. Doesn't that make a lot of sense? Mm-hmm. Let's get a a group of doctors, a large group of doctors mm-hmm. that are treating this and figure out what's working. I mean, that, that just, you would think that that's common sense, mm-hmm. that that's what we should be doing. But unfortunately, again, that did not happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think this, it's unfortunate that the people that are asked to be on the committees, unfortunately, a lot of times they're not even practicing medicine. Right. And I think that's actually crazy to think about people that are making policy decisions for uh, for public health, haven't seen or touched a patient in years Mm -hmm. and they're not seeing and touching patients that are getting sick right i think that's a really really weird place to be because how are they going to know what works and what doesn't work besides again just what they've heard you know from from other people and if they're only surrounding themselves with one voice they're only going to hear one opinion Mm -hmm. i think in this case we should have been hearing all the possible scenarios from all the different all the different providers sometimes not even you know doctors you know in some cases let's hear from the nutritionists let's hear from you know who know chiropractors let's hear from people that hey who knows what's what is going to be helpful for this let's just let's kind of talk through these things and then figure out if there is some validity to that is is there biological plausibility for the way these treatments work Mm -hmm. and then put together a comprehensive prevention plan early treatment plan late treatment plan uh, and ways to keep people out of the hospital right you know because i think if that was really if that was highlighted if that was done so I think we we could have made a huge difference right. uh, in this, and I don't want to say that we are right and you know other uh, providers are wrong, but you know we did really well mm-hmm. uh, with our patients. You right. know we we had we we treated lots of cases of this, and we did really well. No, no I mean we had good responses, uh, no deaths, uh, people recovered quickly, and I think that because we were learning from other integrative doctors and what they were doing, and mm-hmm. we kind of and we we applied that, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's that is one thing that inter- integrative community tends to um, tends to do is they tend to listen to each other to some degree. They say, okay, that's interesting that that's working for them. Let's see if it, let's let's look into that some. Right. And so we we kind of develop our own sort of group of or collective thought uh, versus again this uh, this kind of individual unilateral approach. And, uh, and like I said, I think we've seen that a lot of people do well when we look at it from a collective intelligence versus a singular mm-hmm. intelligence. Yeah. Well, I think we could go on and on um, about this. And um, I don't know about you, but I think that Wiggy needs to lead the committee for the next pandemic. So, no. <laughs> um, yeah, I but I, do th- I think that we, if there's something we can take away from this is let's continue to ask questions and to not just take one person's opinion or one expert or a small group of experts and just apply it and also expect everyone else to do the same thing because you know that's probably not what's best Mm -hmm. for everybody in every situation and one last thing i'll say before we we wrap up here is um you know kids have probably suffered the greatest from this and they are the ones that don't have a voice and us as adults and parents and uh, teachers and caregivers and um, we're so we they are the most vulnerable in our population and and it seems like we've just pushed aside everything that they need and you know in order to work on this particular narrative and just acted like they're going to be just fine. Mm. And I'm not going to, I'm not saying that every last child is going to have like major issues coming out of this, but we know that depression, anxiety, suicide, 
crime, substance abuse, substance abuse like we in the young populations, like we know for sure. Educational and, failing. Yeah, educational failing. And so, and the kids that are already behind and the more vulnerable populations already, you know, I mean, it's, it's a major issue. It's a major problem. What's happening with kids that I think we're starting to acknowledge, but we still are just like, well, like, it's just going to be fine. Like, it's just, it just had to happen that way. And I think that's something that, again, moving forward, we've got to be prepared to think about the kids more quickly and to consider, you know, what what are the real risks? And of course, as parents, like the last thing we want is for our kids to be in any kind of danger. But But the fact of the matter is, is there is risk to every decision. And the way that we've done this as a culture has significantly negatively impacted them yeah and you know you can argue that again they're fine and your kids are thriving and that kind of thing and but overall kids have suffered greatly i think we're going to be seeing that for years to come which is you know i think something else that we've not done well is what are the long-term repercussions of these decisions Mm -hmm. um on our society so, yeah. okay, much more to talk about, but we, we will end it there. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And um, I hope that what happens in these episodes is just that it helps us all to think and to feel permission to think and to ask questions, because I think a lot of times we don't feel like we can do that. And so this is a safe place where we can discuss and we can ask questions and we can dive into all the possibilities. Thanks for joining us. Have a great one.